Hello, this is Brian McCormick. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the resource for leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Dr. Covey is a teacher, author, and speaker who co-founded Franklin Covey and travels the world educating audiences. He has written a number of successful books and has over 25 million copies in circulation. Two of his bestsellers include The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and The Eighth Habit From Effectiveness to Greatness. Dr. Covey's resume is impressive and there is no finer leader out there who is spreading his positive message and influence throughout the world. Enjoy the two-part interview I conducted with Stephen Covey about leadership. In part one, we cover many topics, including Dr. Covey himself, the leaders he admires, and his sage advice for aspiring leaders. What about a favorite quote, or are there a few favorite quotes that you have? Well, one of my favorite quotes is... Abraham Maslow, who said, he that is good with a hammer tends to think everything is a nail. (laughs) Sure. I like that one. How about a favorite book and why? One of my favorite books is called A Guide for the Perplexed by Schumacher. S-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R. Okay. The reason why is because it discusses the four levels of being, like the car I'm driving in is mineral. Okay. And then I'm looking outside, and I see trees. That's mineral plus life. Okay. And then I look at animals... That's mineral plus life plus consciousness. And then I see a person, and that's mineral plus life plus consciousness plus self-awareness. Oh, okay. Which means a person can reinvent himself or herself. Sure. Because they, they uh, can recoil upon their consciousness and they are not a product of their past or of their present environment or someone else's treatment of them. They're not even a product of their thoughts or their feelings because they can think about those things and they have the power to choose their response to all these things. Okay, terrific. What about your own books? Is there a certain one that really you like more than the others or is it just maybe your most recent book that you like the best? Could you talk uh, about that a little? Okay. Uh, I guess the one that has had the greatest influence that I really poured myself into is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Sure. And uh, then I wrote that for families and also, uh, I have sons that have also written books. We just, all three of us, K-12 
came forth with a book which last year, uh, one of my son's books was called The Speed of Trust. Okay. Another one of my son's books was for teenagers called The Six Most Important Decisions You Ever Make. Okay. And then my book was a book with Reader's Digest as a partner called Everyday Greatness. Okay. And uh, the book in total, not my son's, but my books in total, sold about 25 million copies. Wow. That's amazing. The book on time management is called First Things First, is the uh, number one hardcover in the field of time management of all time. Wow. And the book on the family is the number one family book hardcover of all time. That's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, I, I just think your books are phenomenal. So every person okay. that's, yeah. that has bought that uh, has, has truly benefited. In fact, you, you know, you mentioned your sons. The, the one who wrote kind of the, the seven habits directed to the teenagers, the story oh, yeah. and examples, I used to teach that. In, in some high school English classes, so and the kids loved oh, it. So, I my my compliments on your work. It's it's tremendous. Well, you ought to see his new book, uh, the six most important decisions, because he has that so well researched with focus groups all over the world, and has uh, diagrams and the kind of language that teenagers use. Okay, it's an amazing book. And so is my son Stephen's book on the speed of trust. I think that will prove to be a classic. Excellent. Any other books that you would recommend aspiring leaders should read? Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. F-R-A-N-K-L. Yes. Victor is spelled B-I-T-K-O-R. Okay. I talked to Victor Frankl just before he passed away. He was in the emergency room. He was blind, and his wife was reading to him uh, for five hours a day, and I was expressing my gratitude for his great life's work, and he said, Stephen, we'd known each other in many situations before. He said, Stephen, you talk to me as if I'm checking out of life. I've got two more projects I'm finishing up. Wow. I have a book I'm writing now called uh, Live Life in Crescendo. Oh, really? Yeah, the basic idea is that the most important work we will ever do is always ahead of us. Okay. I'm also working on five other books right now. One for attorneys called Blessed are the Peacemakers. Okay. And then one on how to uh, fight crime and terrorism called Partnering to Prevent Crime and Terrorism. And where it's used, crime goes down 80%. Is that right? 80%. And recidivism is only 5%. Wow. Meaning those who are convicted, only 5% go back. And it's normally like 40%. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And I have 
I have another one, a book on bringing character education to primary and secondary schools. Oh, excellent. I don't know if you saw that video in the 8th Habit about the A.B. Combs School. No, I have not. Well, uh, and by the way, the 8th Habit has sold a million copies now and was given number one designation for business books, for the best business book of 2005. Wow. But anyway, that book has one DVD video for every chapter. Okay. And and one of those chapters shows the A.V. Combs School. Okay. Where they have brought this Seven Habits material into their school, and in a period of three and a half years, on national tests, these foreign students, where English is not even the primary language, went from 62 percentile to 98 percentile, and they just were designated as the number one magnet school in the whole country last year. Wow. And we have taken that model now to many, many other schools. So this book will report on what's happened to academic performance because of focusing on character development of children and also of secondary school children. That sounds amazing. Then I have, then I have another book on uh, how universities and colleges can become a convenient source to bring about a civil society inside communities. Okay. And then I'm also working on a book for students. It would be on the principles of management. So I've got six book projects I'm working on. Let me ask you this. Between that and your travel schedule, do you, do you sleep at all? Maybe you should write a book on how do you get through life with no sleep? The way I do it is long-range planning and setting up research teams. Oh, okay. And I have a a book outline that the research teams gather material on, and then I go out and teach the material at these different locations, and we record my teaching and then edit that, and that's what becomes the book. Oh, in that way, you test the material to make sure that it really works with the audiences. Sure. Oh, that sounds like instead a perfect of, system. In, in, instead of just sitting down in some kind of cloistered environment and writing, I'm teaching constantly, and I record my teaching, and I walk around the audience and take questions and find out what the problems are. Wow. Well, that that makes a lot of sense. It's a good way to write a book because you know that the material deals with real life and also with universal and timeless principles. Last week, I taught them from the Quran over in Jordan and Dubai. Wow. I also can teach the same material from Buddhism and from Islam and from... Hinduism, all six major world religions. Well, that's amazing. So how do you, I mean, how how did you get so versed in all these religions? 
Well, we have our company that is in 160 different countries. Okay. And so most of these are, are company people in these different companies, as Franklin Covey, have relationships with people that have translated the material into the different cultures, different religions. Sure. And so they, they give me a synopsis, and I learn their material so I can teach it when I go to their countries. Okay. I also find that by doing that, you get your translations correct culturally. Sure. Because that's usually where translations go awry. It's not with the content or the language, it's with the culture. Sure. Makes sense. I also find that when you teach in different countries, you focus upon universal principles, and then they come up with practices that reflect the unique culture of their own country. Okay. What about if you had to identify your current personal passion? What would you say that would be? My current personal passion is this book, Live Life in Crescendo. And another current passion is to train heads of state because most of the heads of state have read the seven habits and usually our own people know some of the top people in the governments and they work it out. So that's how I've been able to train 22 heads of state in the last few years. Wow. And, and not just for a short period of time, but for a, several hours. Wow. And I just finished traveling through all Central America and trained eight heads of state down there. And then the president of Honduras had me come back and train everyone in the government, 600 people. Wow. What a wonderful way to impact the world in a positive way. Right. I, I think that these new books that I'm writing, well, they're all based on research before and after, and this will get the attention of the media and can literally influence billions of people, not just hundreds of thousands or millions. Sure. Because when you show how you can get rid of 80% of the crime, can you imagine the media attention to that? <laughs> No, you're exactly right. Wow. And also, how to get rid of poverty, like this Mohammed Yunus, who just got the Nobel Peace Prize through his microcredit leadership, has got rid of 500 million people out of poverty in the last 10 years. Wow. That gets the attention of these heads of state, particularly in the developing world. Sure. You can see why I'm turned on by my mission to take this principle-centered material throughout the world. Sure, definitely. Now, would you say, if asked to identify your dream, would you say that would be the same as what you just identified as your personal passion, or would there be anything different there for your my dream? dream? My dream focuses more on my family. Okay. On having them become a family of significance where they're all turned on by the mission of changing the world. Oh, 
Excellent. And that's why the that's why the sons' books, and I have daughters writing books too. And uh, we have nine children and forty-seven grandchildren. Wow! Congratulations. And the whole purpose, <laughs> and the the whole purpose, is to serve other people, and that's the best way to serve God. And so the children and the grandchildren are growing up with that vision. So it's not about me and mine. It's about thee and thine. Sure. Wow. Well put. When you talk about these different places in the world, is there a place in the world you most like to visit? Well, I guess for a vacation, I most like to visit Hawaii Okay. for, for uh, helping people that really appreciate it enormously. I enjoy Central and South America and also Asia. Okay. But I'm also getting very involved in Eastern Europe now. Oh. And uh, I've just gone through Hungary and Romania and Russia and all of the former republics of the former Soviet Union. And they love it because they feel like they can leapfrog the industrial age into the information knowledge worker age. Sure. Because I show illustrations of where that has been done. Because most of them are not highly industrialized. But if they will invest in their people, they can move into this knowledge worker age. And I think that's one of the reasons why they love doing that. And they're so appreciative that it's very satisfying to have people that appreciate it that much. Sure, I bet it is. Wow. What about, what do you think have been the experiences vital to your own development in getting you to this level of insight, understanding in your your life? Well, I had two significant events with One was my hips. So I had to go on crutches for several years. And that turned me from athletics to academics. Oh, okay. So I became more of a student and a teacher rather than an athlete, even though I loved athletics and my kids did too. Okay. The second one was I did a volunteer service for two years to just serve other people. And my leader saw in me the potential to train other leaders. And I didn't see that in me at all because I was supposed to go into a family business that was very successful. Okay. It was in gas and oil, hotels, motels, and real estate. And I was supposed to kind of be the heir apparent. Sure. But this this gentleman affirms my ability to train leaders and asked me to do so in his organization, and I was frightened. I didn't think that that was where my talents lie, and but I did it, and found it to be so satisfying that I, when I, and he even sent me to the Harvard Business School 
to get ready to take over the business. And I basically said to him, I would rather be a teacher and a trainer of leaders. Sure. And uh, he was, he even said to me, you know, I never found my voice in business either. Okay. He was more involved in developing visitor centers that would show how all truth is encompassed in one great whole. Oh. And so that's where his voice was, and people didn't even know it. That's my father until he died. Wow. At his funeral. And he influenced visitor centers all over the world. Wow. So I found my voice in uh, teaching and training leaders. Eventually, I set up my own business called Franklin Covey. Right. And now we're into 160 countries teaching this material. So it's been a very fulfilling thing to have had those two experiences that shaped and defined the rest of my life. Sure. What advice would you offer to aspiring leaders? My advice is that you should live by principles. Mm -hmm. that, it, that integrity is the foundation of true leadership. And the more you live by principles and have this integrity, then people trust you. When people trust you, you have moral authority and you don't have to have position power. Sure. Because it's like Gandhi had moral authority and became the founder of the largest democracy in the world, India. He never was elected and never was appointed. Right. And I just had a great visit with Nelson Mandela. Oh, is that right? Wow. And uh, he got his moral authority in prison. Right. Well, that had to have been a pleasure to visit with him, huh? It, it was really an inspiration to visit with him. I asked him, how did he come to overcome his bitterness toward his jailers? Because they treated him with such indignity and so much um, belittlement and torture. Right. He said he began to realize they, too, were victims of the apartheid era. And that's why when he became the president of the New South Africa, he appointed Bishop Tutu as chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission so that they could bring together the victims and the victimizers of the apartheid era and they processed their experiences until they received reconciliation and forgiveness toward each other. Sure. Even when he was inaugurated, we gave our Principal Center Leadership Award to Colin Powell. Okay. And he said one of the most electrifying experiences of his life was to go to his inauguration and to see him come down the center aisle and there on the left-hand side, on the front row, were his loved ones. On the right-hand side, on the front row, were his jailers. Wow. And he bows to them and says, good morning, gentlemen. Then he brings the ANC choir to sing the Afrikaner anthem. 
and the Afrikaner choir to sing the ANC anthem, he became a tremendous source of reconciliation and forgiveness. Oh, what an amazing person. It, it truly is. Very inspiring. And it taught me that moral authority is not based on position at all. In fact, people who have position and no moral authority will eventually lose their authority like Hitler did. Sure. Now, who would you say your most admire, admired leader would be and, and why? One of them is this Nelson Mandela. Sure. Another one would be Gandhi. Okay. Another another one would be the president of my church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Because he began his most significant work when he was 85 years old. Wow. And what he accomplished in the last 12 years is astounding. And that's an illustration that I'm going to use in this book, Live Life in Crescendo. I will also use a lot of other people who are other religious leaders from different faiths and people who are uh, and who have decided not to retire because they recognize so much pain out there mm. and they want to contribute and make a difference. I also admire single mothers and nurses and teachers. Okay. And, pe and people who continue to make a difference, particularly in developing strong families. The name of the president of our church is B. Hinckley. But he'll be just one of many that I'm writing up in this book, Live Life in Crescendo. It's trying to get people never to retire. They may retire from their work, but never from extremely meaningful projects. Sure. If you could offer a story or analogy or a metaphor for leadership, what would that be? I would use a tree. Okay. I would look at the roots of the tree for the example that merits the trust of a person. Okay. Then the trunk of the tree, I would say, represents the mentoring and the the modeling so that you build strong relationships with the people that you live with and work among. Sure. The large the large branches of the tree would represent how you organize the structures and systems to support the mission and purpose and those principles. Okay. Because most people don't institutionalize the principles, and that's why when they die or when their charismatic qualities go, that the work they do doesn't go on. The key is to leave a legacy so that your successors do better than you. Okay, sure. And they stand on your shoulders, and they make greater contributions that you have made. And that's the concept of institutionalizing. That's the large branches of the tree. And then the small branches that produce the leaves and the fruit of the tree 
is where you teach principles. And then when people uh, learn those principles and they obey them, then they establish their own trees so that this thing goes on and on and on. It's a living organism, this tree is, and it's a great metaphor. I teach it all the time, particularly to families, because many, many families don't really think in terms of developing a family mission statement and then institutionalizing the principles. See, when, when children see the roots, they see someone who has a good example, they trust that person. Then if they experience that they are loved and valued and affirmed and appreciated, they come to value themselves. Then when they see the thing becomes institutionalized, they come to value family structure. Sure. And then when they live by the principles that you teach them, they come to to value not only the principles, but to trust themselves. Wow. Use the quote of that... If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Right. When I train these heads of state, I always ask them the question, what is your mission and the principles you operate on? And then I ask the question, do you institutionalize those? And that always shakes them up a little. Really? I was with the president of Columbia, and he said he wanted to make his country safe from the drug lords and the insurgencies. I said, what are you doing to institutionalizing it? So it's not dependent upon your popularity. Right. And he he only was in for four years, and he only had eight months. I said, you're so popular. Why don't you teach the Constitution? It'll only take two-thirds vote. And they did it. And now he has another four years. And now what he's working on is institutionalizing. Wow. Because you don't want to make people dependent upon you and impressed by you. You want them to be impressed by the quality of these principles so that they, too, will leave a legacy that goes beyond themselves. Right. Oh, that's that's a terrific example and a terrific metaphor. Uh, I like it. I like them both. What about your, in addition to integrity, what other traits do you think are most important in a leader? I would say love. That they truly love the people and love the cause that they are in to serve those people. Okay. I would say another one would be to uh, develop this institutionalized moral authority so that the principles are built into the systems and the way you recruit, train, select, compensate. Another one I would say to develop a cultural moral authority so that 
you not only have institutionalized it, but it becomes enculturated so that the mores and norms of the society support the principles. For instance, in this book on how you get 80% less crime, the key is you change the mores and norms of the culture so that it's cool to be good. <laughs> right. You establish a partnership with businesses and have the police give positive tickets to people instead of negative tickets only. Oh, okay. In other words, they, they find young people who serve others and contribute and report the bad guys and you give them positive tickets and then the businesses in partnership reward them with entertainment packages, with free food, free clothing, things of this nature so that the parents, the neighborhoods, the businesses, the police, the children, the teenagers, everyone wants to do good. Sure. And they turn in the bad guys. Wow. Because you've, you have enculturated the mores and norms where it's cool to be good. Right. Okay. Makes sense. So... This, this requires a new mindset, a new skill set, and a new tool set. Sure. And this requires training people in those three things. Okay. This concludes part one of the interview with Dr. Stephen R. Covey, our National Leader of the Month. Now move on to part two, where Dr. Covey continues offering his thoughts on leadership. <laughs>